Good morning. I'm going to start by telling you a joke. It's not because I'm a great joke teller. It's because this joke relates. And my nine-year-old grandson, Ezra, told me this joke a couple weeks ago. And he said, now be sure you tell him that it's from a joke book called Jokes for Nine-Year-Olds. So there. Okay, now there was a duck, and he walked into a store, and he said to the man behind the counter, can you hear? Okay, got any grapes? And the man said, no. And so the duck came back the next day, and he said to the man behind the counter, got any grapes? And the man said, no. So he left, and he came back the third day, and he said, got any grapes? And the man said, no. And if you come back tomorrow, I'm going to glue your feet down to the floor. So the duck left, and he came back the next day, and he said, got any glue? And the man said, no. And the duck said, got any grapes? (laughs) You know, when we come to John 15, it's talking about fruitfulness. We can't help but ask ourselves that question. Do I have any grapes? Am I bearing fruit for God's glory? And we no sooner ask that question than we think about the verse in today's lesson that says, the vine cannot bear fruit by itself. So what are we to do? We can't bear our own fruit. So we have to ask a second question. How's your connection to the vine? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And this really came home to me last September. I was on my way to keep my three grandchildren in Nebraska. I had a three-year-old girl and two high school boys. And I was going to be the responsible adult. My daughter and son-in-law were going out of town. And so I navigated the Denver airport and I was sitting there at my connecting gate with plenty of time and I just felt like I was home free until I reached in my backpack and I'd lost my phone. I know, what is it? And you know, it's like the whole week spread before me as a disaster. The parents couldn't connect with the children. My husband couldn't connect with me. The boys had three out of town tennis tournaments and they had buses and rides and Lizzie and I were going to one of them. A friend was picking us up and no one could connect with me. And so I literally thought, I think I'm going to have a panic attack. And it was like this wave was coming in, and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I know better than this. I know what to do. And so I cried out to God, and I said, Lord, I really ask you to let me find my phone. I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for all these people that are going to be so inconvenienced if they can't connect to me. And so it's like the vine literally wrapped his vine arms around a very helpless branch. And he led me down concourses and stairs, and I had to go back through a train and other... Anyway, little office, no name on the door, and... I went right in, 
and said to a man, I've lost my phone. And he said, there's an information desk by the McDonald's. Well, I'd passed the McDonald's three times by, by then. I knew where it was. And so I went, and this woman or angel, I know not which, handed me my phone. She heard a very loud, thank you, Jesus. But anyway, I was sitting back at the connecting gate, and I thought, what is it? Why do we think that we're dependent on all these connections? There's only one connection that we're dependent on. It's vital, and it's enough. And that's our connection to the one who says, I am the true vine. So how does that connection come about? Let's talk first about making the connection. When the Lord Jesus gave this metaphor, they had left the Last Supper, the upper room. And if the movie of the Gospel of John is correct, they're walking through a vineyard. Seems they're walking through a vineyard at that time. And so he said, I'm the true vine, Jesus. We as believers are the branches. God the Father is the vine dresser. He tends the vineyard. And the Holy Spirit is a sap. Now, when we're saved, God places us into the true vine, the Lord Jesus. And our connection to the vine is secured by God himself. So what about verses 2 and verse 6, where it says those vines are cast out? Well, let me just tell you the best that I can do and the simplest that I feel like I could make it. Um, Basically, it's one of two things. The most widely held view is that these branches that that are cast out were professors of Christ, but not possessors. They were never true believers. And... In the upper room, Jesus had said, one of you will betray me. So that is a widely held belief. The other, on the other side, when we read in these verses, every branch in me, um, they could be true believers that ha- are just not bearing fruit. Um, they're no longer, they're still connected to the vine, but just not in a close fruit-bearing way. So God either has to discipline them or lift them up, encourage them, try to help them along to bear fruit. Now, I don't know. I don't know which way it is. I see that it could be either way, and I would tell you if I could. But what does it mean for us today? It means that if you're truly saved and you don't feel like God's using your life, you don't really feel like you're bearing fruit, then you just need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what's wrong? What do I need to do? Help me to bear fruit, because only he can do that. Now, let's talk about how this this plays out. How does this look? The vine sends down the roots, and he'll send those out as far and deep as needful to get enough moisture and enough nutrients to bring all this back, turn it into sap, send it through the branches, fruits born. 
Now, that means that a lot of our role is a, a conduit. The sap flows through us. And the branch trusts the vine. The, the vine is its support and its supplier. It supplies everything that the branch needs to fulfill God's purpose. That would be resources, ability, love for your assignment. And something that came home to me last week, God supplies time to do his will. I thought, I have gotten myself in. I thought, this is not happening. And God supplied little pockets of time that I never even realized would be there. We can trust the vine to supply for us. And without the connection to the vine, the branch can do nothing. I'll probably say that 10 times because it's just true. It seems so simple. But what about maintaining our connection to the vine? We have to troubleshoot it because self is always waiting to come right in. And so this is what... Um, we do to stay, to stay there. The first thing we're going to talk about, make your connection close. This is abiding. The word abide means to stay, remain, or continue. When we abide in Christ, we stay closely connected. We cultivate a sense of his presence. This connection is so close that in verse 4, it's described, abide in me, and I and you. We literally indwell each other. Now that's, that's close. And the way we abide in Jesus should be a perfect counterpart to the way Jesus in, abided in God the Father when he was here on earth. And I see three things in that. Jesus was totally submissive to his Father. He was totally dependent on his Father. He was totally obedient to his father. Yet he lived a life of rest, free from stress and anxiety. Now, if you're even tempted to think, I can't do that, don't believe it. That's a lie. You see, when we read, abide in me, abide in my love, these are in the command form. And if God gives a command, God also gives the enablement to do the command. We can obey. Now, can we obey perfectly? Probably not. And for that, we have Jesus. He obeyed perfectly. Now, abiding is yielding our life to him, every part of our heart and life, and let him take charge. Now, you may not remember this, but, you know, we had those bumper stickers Years ago, Jesus is my co-pilot. No. (laughs) Thanks to Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. Okay, now let me tell you, I have lived, I've lived both of these ways. There's no comparison, no comparison to whether you're directing your life or Jesus is directing your life. Now, abiding is not being passive or lazy Because once we've yielded our life, Jesus is going to get that sap flowing such our lives that we're going to be, we're going to be living for him, working for him. We'll be busy, but it's his strength and his life 
that's flowing through us. But we will be fully alive, fully useful, and joyful. Now, I'm just going to give you this example because I think learning to abide is learning to trust Jesus. And it's a lot like learning to swim. And when I was about seven, my mom taught me to swim. We were in a motel pool in Florida. And she said, now, Mary, I want you to lay on your back, and I'm going to have my arms under you, supporting you. Okay? And so she said, now, just totally relax. Now, that took a while. Relax into the water. And I'm going to move my arms one by one, and you're going to see that the water will hold you up. Okay? So my mom moved her arms, and I was floating. I was amazed. The water held me up. I had to trust the water to do that. Then I simply turned onto my stomach, started moving my arms. I was swimming. The water was supporting me. Now, what if I should lay down on the floor and say, okay, I'm going to swim to the back of the room? How far would I get? Isn't that silly? But that's trusting the vine to do the work or trying to do it on your own. And, and you, know, you know you're not abiding because it feels like swimming on the floor. Okay. Now, remember, we abide one day at a time. You know, you think, okay. When you're tempted to take back control of your life, ask yourself, can I abide for one day? His mercies are new every morning. The next day, the grace will be there, and you'll say, can I abide for one day? And sometimes it's moment by moment, but the grace will be there. The manna was always there, and so is God's grace. So the second thing about your connection, make it large. We're talking about pruning. When the branch is pruned, the place where it connects to the vine grows larger. That happens. And that allows more sap to flow through and more fruit to be born. born. Okay, now if pruning makes you think about your husband with the lobbers, Or maybe you had a yard man who murdered your crepe myrtles. Just, nah, get that out of your mind. That is not how God prunes. God prunes with purpose. And in the whole history of the world, he has never made one wrong snip. He takes only the things that hinder or harm us. When we submit to God's pruning we develop a better capacity for the flow of his spirit. And, you know, I don't even think God has lobbers. You know what tool he uses most in pruning? His word. We read the word of God. We're convicted of something that needs to be gone out of our life, and it's gone. And God also uses affliction and hardships because, and, and, you know, I thought, well, how is that pruning? How is that taking away? Because that seems like that's adding on. But 
the way God does that is bringing these things into our lives, and we have no choice but to draw close to him if we're going to get through. And as we draw close to him, we begin to see how life should be lived in his strength, and we see all these things that are encumbering us and all these things that have to go. Now, pruning is not punishment. It's a privilege. It's a privilege those who are already bearing fruit are pruned, that they may bear more fruit. And pruning will never, never stop. I had a lady, I teach a Bible class in a retirement home, and a lady came up to me and she said, let me tell you how God God pruned me through a wreck. She's in her 80s. It's never going to stop. And it looks different for each one of us. But let me tell you, your pruning is specially chosen by the vine dresser. His goal is more fruitfulness and more usefulness for the branch. The third thing with your connection, make it strong. You know... We make our connection strong by exchanging our weakness for God's strength. We don't have any strength. And I have wasted years of my life trying to improve myself. I mean, I have weaknesses. And I've tried to think, how can I strengthen this area? And I have flaws. And I have thought, how can I get rid of this flaws? And, and I think we, we learned that. And do you know that that's useless, that's vain. Can we improve ourselves? Okay, Andrew Murray wrote a wonderful book, Abide in Christ, and he says, it is a true victory when we accept our weakness and begin to trust his strength to take over to compensate for us. And you see this believer just getting over, getting over herself and moving on. And God comes in in those weaknesses. Now, last November, um, Hickman and I were asked to teach on marriage in India. We were teaching um, both the men and women together. And so we sat down to plan our talk about marriage, and we got in a fight. So, so he ended up saying, well, Mary, you've, you've taught, you taught on this before, so let's look at your outlines. And he said, well, yeah, this one looks good. Let's just, let's just use your outline, and then I'll just add my part into what you're teaching. So I had taught at Colorful Day with Debbie Frazier one year. And so I made um, two copies. I had two copies of the lesson on the computer. One was my lesson. One was my lesson combined with Debbie's. So the outlines had different numbers. And so I got to India and thinking, you know, we'll have plenty of time to work this out. Well, we didn't. We had dinners, cricket, and cricket, I'm not, I'm not bitter, I'm over it. But, you know, cricket decide, told us the last minute, I can't go, so there meant extra lessons and all that, and it was, it was fine. But anyway, it did mean that there wasn't a lot of time. And so before we had to get up and do this lesson, 
I didn't have page numbers, and I realized that the two lessons had gotten jumbled together. I was in a hopeless mess. I would go to the end of this page and try to find the net. I mean, literally, and it was time to get up and teach. Okay, so I got up. I felt a peace, and I felt a power, and I thought, what's up with this? And God was really, God was, was doing it. And then I got to this part about these are five tools that God gives you in your marriage to build your marriage. And I did number three. It was Christ-honoring confrontations. And I turned the page, and it said number five. And I thought, oh, and I'd already told them there were five. <laughs> so I was in a mess. And so um, I didn't have four, and I couldn't find four. And, and I said, well, I don't see number four. And Kelly Stelling was sitting here. She went calmly through this pile of papers in my seat. And she slides number four right up on the lectern in front of me. Now, I don't want to live like that. I don't. I want to be more together. And... and and I try, and my trying gets me nowhere. So what do we do? We just have to say, Lord, if you've called me, and I'm doing, you know, I haven't squandered my time. I've, you know, done the best I can as a pitiful, helpless branch. I trust you to come through. We'll see it every time. God has never failed to come through. Okay, so we exchange our weakness for his strength. Now, let me tell you, are you waiting for God to perfect you before you'll let him use you? It won't happen. So just give him your weakness and take his strength. Now, number four, make it wide open. You know, we cannot lose our connection to the vine but we can disengage our hearts from Jesus. We can go our own way, pursue our own plans, or we can even allow sin to remain in our lives. Self and sin will clog our connection and hinder the sap from flowing through. Now, we know what to do about sin. We confess and repent. What about self? You know, when I was a young Christian, people said, you need to die to self. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't like that. I think I would miss me. <laughs> and, you know, I was so very shallow. The idea I had was if I really trust God with my life, I'll never get another new outfit, and I'll never get to buy anything new for my house. Now, a lot of people say, well, if I do that, God will send me to Africa, but I would love that. But, do you, you know, we all have these different ideas, and it, it pains me to think about some of the wrong ideas I've had of God. But... Um, We go to Galatians 2.20. It's really true. 
I am crucified with Christ, and I don't live anymore. He lives his life through me. I long to live that life now. Self just has to die. There's no other way. Now, what is so hard about this? Do we have a picture? Is that next? Okay. Do I have your picture up there? We're women. We're fixers. We're doers. I go right back into this mode. We've got to constantly die. It's not, it's not once and for all. It happens over and over again whenever we realize that self has ever gotten back on the throne. And one thing that helps a lot, um, Carolyn Downs told me this. She learned in a seminary class. When we die to ourself, then God is free to give us the best self we could ever have. We become our true self when we let go of our life on this earth. What he has is better than what we have. What he wants to do in us, amazing. It's amazing. It's eternally valuable. Remain forever. Now, just two verses. Psalm 119.32, this is the modern English version. I will run in the way of your commandments when you have set my heart free. God wants to set our hearts free. Psalm 1611, you make, make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound like God will take away our fun and our delight? No. No. This is who God is. Okay, now the last, number five. Make your connection fruitful. Our lesson addressed the fact that there are two kinds of fruit, internal and external. Wait, let him. Does it say let him? Yeah, I wanted to make sure, make that point. He's the one that will make it fruitful. Okay. Um, Now, internal fruit is born in the life of the believer as God goes about sanctifying us, making us Christ-like, imparting the fruits of the Spirit into our life. Now, one thing um, that I wanted to mention here, internal fruit includes quiet victories that have happened in your heart that only God can see. You know, we have had things that we have surrendered to God. There are places in our heart, things that we've clung to. And as we have quietly come to a place of yielding those to God, it's a victory. It's fruit for his glory. There's also that time when you realize Lord, I've never liked the fact that this happened in my life. I just wish it, I just kind of wish it hadn't happened. And you get to that place and you say, Lord, I can thank you for this. It was necessary for what you wanted to do in my life. And I just want to tell you that I am able to yield that to you. And thank you for it. Quiet 
victories that only God sees. I'm going to move forward, Lord. Okay, now the external fruit, um, Ephesians 2.10, God prepared it. We just walk right into things that, and, you know, we just go, Lord, this has, has my name on it. I was meant to do this. I, I just know you have this for me, and I thank you. And um, saving, saving souls, um, feeding, tearing down strongholds of the enemy. When we're abiding in the Lord, we find ourselves being in the right place at the right time to speak the right word. Now, whether it's internal or external, this is all a work done by the sap of the Holy Spirit, all this fruit. It's God's fruit for God's glory. Have you ever heard of nacho cheese? Now you've heard of nacho fruit. This is not your fruit. It's God's fruit for God's glory. Now, you know, I thought... I want to call this lesson the nacho life. I just think that really says it, but you know why I couldn't do it. Too cheesy. (laughs) Okay, now, the last thing we'll go to is benefiting from the connection. We know that abiding yields a life of deep restfulness. That close connection frees us from worry or anxiety when we really grasp on to the fact that God is doing it, then we can let go of those things. It's also love and obedience. And these things are are interconnected. As we love, we want to obey. As we obey, we want to love. And we allow God's love to flow through us, and we really can love the unlovely. And one thing that um, I had to think about recently, I was having a really, really hard time loving someone. And I just kept saying, Lord, will you love this person? I know you can. I know you can love them. And one thing God reminded me of, what is, what is real love? Real love does the very best thing for the person loved. And sometimes that's not the warm fuzzy. Sometimes that means a hard confrontation. Sometimes that's the most loving thing that you can do. But as we allow God's love to love through us, he'll tell us the best thing to do for the person loved. Now, it also it includes being, we'll become his disciples. We're, we'll bear fruit that remains. We'll see answered prayer. Do you you know in John 15, twice, the Lord says, I'm going to answer your prayer. I will ask whatever you will, and I'll do it. Now, is is there a catch to this? No, there isn't a catch, but there is a condition. And the condition is that we're abiding in him and his words are abiding in us. Then we can ask what we desire and it will be done. You did not choose me. I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. 
that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. It just seems too good to be true. Well, the condition, when we're abiding in him, his words begin to take root in our heart, and our desires are purified, and his desires become our desires, and we dwell so close to him that we begin to pray prayers according to God's will. And he can, he can answer our prayers. Now, um, the last Bible study we did on prayer was life-changing for me. I realized Paul didn't pray for changes in circumstances. He always prayed for deepening of relationships with God. I don't want to pray counter to what God wants me to pray. So as we abide in the vine, he'll tell us what to pray, and he can joyfully answer. We're going to see answered prayer. Okay, now I'm going to um, close us with a true story of a man named George Mueller. George Mueller. Have you heard of George Mueller? Okay, I love using an example from someone who's dead because they can't mess up their testimony. (laughs) I'm not glad he's dead. I would have loved to have met the man, but you know what I mean by that. It's safe. Okay. Um, George Mueller, he ran a children's home in Bristol, England, and he ran that children's home solely by faith. He never told anyone what they needed. He just prayed. He told only God. He abided so close. For 57 years, he never failed to get an audience with the king every morning. And so he watched miracle after miracle. Delivery trucks would drive up with soap. Who knew they needed soap? Bread, clothes. He lived that way. Well, this, um, it, it, this account is in streams in the desert. And there was a man, a captain, who told the story. And he ran a steamer boat between Bristol, England, and Canada. And so he said, I was a devout Christian, but my life was changed one day when I had George Mueller aboard my vessel. He said the fog, we were coming around the coast of Newfoundland, and the fog was so dense that I had not left the bridge for 24 hours. The bridge up there where the person's driving. Okay. And so George Mueller came up and he said, "Um, Captain, I need to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. And I said to the man, It is impossible. And George Mueller said, very well, if you cannot take me, God will find another way to get me there. Because in 57 years, I have never failed to keep an engagement for God. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. So the captain and George Mueller went down to pray. And he said that George Mueller prayed a very simple prayer. Um, he said, Lord, I believe that you gave me this engagement. I believe it's your will. 
I believe you told me to take it. And so I'm trusting you to get me there. My eyes are not on the density of the fog. My eyes are on you, Lord, the greatness of my God. And so he said, Lord, I'm asking you to lift the fog in five minutes. (laughs) You know, we look at that and we think, oh, that's putting God out on a limb. You know, I mean, why don't we do that? And so he finished praying, and then the captain said, and I was going to pray. And George Mueller said, no, you don't need to pray. Two reasons. You don't believe God can do it, and I believe God already has. Open the door, captain. The fog was gone. George Mueller was in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. Now, George Mueller was a mortal person just like you and I. But he had made his connection to the vine and he maintained it. He made it large and strong and close and wide open. And he lived this kind of life and we can too. And then when the duck comes up to you and says, got any grapes? You can say, I've been maintaining my connection to the vine, and he's produced the fruit. Take all the grapes you want. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, a truth so simple, yet so hard. Lord, may this be a day that we purpose to stay close to you, you and us, and we're in you. A beautiful, beautiful picture of a life lived for the glory of God. Lord, will you allow us, the women in this room, to bear fruit for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.